0: Hey guys, welcome back to Been There, the podcast giving visibility to the collegiate female athlete experience through the power of story sharing. With athletes from all across the country, we speak candidly about the highs and the lows of the life of a female college athlete. My name is Kiana, I'm a Stanford softball alumni, and I'm going to be your host for today's podcast. So today we're going to be talking to Michaela, who just graduated from Stanford and played on the women's basketball team. First, we're going to listen to her story, and then after that, I'm going to ask her some questions to dive a little bit deeper into her story and get to know her some more. Super excited for you guys to hear it.
1: So I was probably about six when uh, me and my family first Realized that I had obsessive compulsive tendencies and I didn't really find out how um, severe it was till I was a teenager and things started to to ramp up in terms of uh, in terms of my symptoms and as a teenager that was around the time I was starting to run competitively for track and play pretty high level basketball. And so I kind of learned to lean on basketball, lean on running and find solitude there. And a lot of my symptoms seemed to kind of relax or go away. And basketball especially was, was an escape, um, escape for me. But as I, as I got older, especially in, in my senior year of high school, things got a little bit darker and a little bit harder, harder to handle. Um, a good friend of mine died in a car accident. Another friend committed suicide. And my grandma, who I'm extremely close to uh, still today, had a very terrible stroke all around the same time. And this was the time that I was deciding that I was going to commit to Stanford to play basketball and to continue my education. And I was just so lost. And I thought that going to Stanford would allow me to start fresh and meet new people and kind of erase my past in in a way. And um, of course, that's not how it went at all as uh, as life tends to be like that. I was angry all of a sudden that, that I'd never had um, much help or support growing up with something like obsessive compulsive disorder. And I wasn't meeting a standard of success in my own head Based on my own um, my own standard and in terms of basketball, like competing and being able to perform, that was all just slipping between my fingers, and I was really really struggling in a way that I never had before. And OCD and major depression, which I had developed um, during my freshman year at Stanford, kind of took over. And that's something that I never expected to happen. I always thought, oh, I'd have basketball. It's something I can control in my life and something that I can turn to when I can't control what's in my head. Um, And I was no longer able to do that. And so I I broke. And I found myself in the Stanford Hospital in the psych ward um, on a fifty-one fifty hold, which is a suicide hold. And I guess I kind of want to distill how I hit this breaking point really in the first place Um, I thought I really thought that it wasn't okay that I couldn't control everything that was going on and that I should be able to push through the feelings and struggles that I encounter in my life especially as as an athlete having had to perform on such a um, high stage my whole life and I had to learn very quickly that a it is okay to struggle and B that it is okay to ask for help in that struggle. And that there is absolutely no way you can do it on your own. And I learned to question myself every day and question how hard I'm willing to fight and how hard I'm willing to look for ways to cope and ways to lean on people and make sure that that in my mind is okay and allowed. Um, And so I spent, I spent quite a while in in the hospital and um i owe everything to my teammates who visited me every night during visiting hours and brought me oreos and would come and stay and braid my hair and just tell me about everything they were doing and um and it was really hard because that year my my team went to a final four and and i wasn't able to go because i needed to take care of myself and that was something that was very very difficult to kind of come to terms with. Um, I ended up accepting a formal diagnosis of obsessive compulsive disorder and major depression, two things that I never thought I would identify with. But then I also had to learn that they weren't the only thing that, that I identified with. They're a part of me, a part of who I am, um, but they don't define the nature of, of my being. I wasn't any less of a person because I struggled with uh, mental illness. Um, and I had to kind of take it day by day. And I talked a lot to, to my teammates. I talked a lot to the other people around me at Stanford about my worth, about understanding the reach of my voice, my ideas, and my story. And I ended up becoming a really big advocate for mental health, and I still am. Um, and, you know, I I found a place of confidence that I didn't think I could find again. Because, like I said, I questioned how hard I was willing to look for for change and for solitude and an understanding and sometimes that's in not always understanding and talking through those things and those feelings and those emotions I like to use the analogy of like running a really hard conditioning test like the first time you ever do it it sucks and you feel it in every fiber of your body but then the more you the more you do that test it doesn't necessarily get like physically any any easier it still makes your legs hurt and the lactic acid kicks in right away but you know what to expect and you kind of have a grip on it in that way like oh i've done this before so i can do it now and that's what i try to tell myself every time i encounter an episode of uh, obsessive compulsive thoughts or behaviors or Um, an episode of depression and I hope anyone who's listening I just want to tell you you can do anything you set your mind to no matter what no matter what anyone tells you or any type of diagnosis of anything you're capable and you have a voice and there are experiences that you have that people need to hear.
0: So first I want to say thank you so much for being here today. I found the strength and encouragement of your story so inspiring and I'm just super excited to be talking with you more about it today. With that in mind, my first question is if you could describe a little bit more the symptoms you experienced when you were young and how those have evolved throughout your time in college.
1: Yeah, well first of all thank you for having me and I'm so excited to do this. I guess in terms of symptoms, I didn't really struggle with with depression much until I was a bit older, so I really had more concrete obsessive-compulsive symptoms, and they have definitely changed as my life has changed, and I've had more responsibilities growing up, and when I was little, I think the biggest ones for me were counting, and I was always afraid of imperfection and not knowing exactly how uh, things like add it up. So I would count like parking spaces and I would count the lines on basketball court and add up the numbers on the jerseys of my teammates and my own jersey and trying to make sure I had this perfect representation in my head. And that kind of manifested a little bit as I got older into things that that meant meant more to me. And so I started to struggle more with making sure I had Perfect conversations with people and mapping out exactly what I was going to say and trying to figure out what the other person was going to say, and I still still struggle with that. And I guess like with OCD, there's like this feared consequence, um, it for not doing the the compulsions. And so for me, that is like being alone and having that person just be like dismissive or not wanting to talk to me anymore, um, and. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to see how like some of my symptoms have latched onto basketball and my teammates and the things that just go through my head while I'm playing and that's a large part of what I've worked on in therapy like trying to a in a very nice way tell them to <laughs> uh screw off more or less. Um and yeah, it's uh it's an interesting thing for sure.
0: Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. Um, next, I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit more on the escape that basketball was for you in high school and how it felt to not have basketball as an escape during your time in college.
1: Yeah. Um, so I guess when I was in high school, basketball was a place where I could escape. My symptoms escape some of the things that were happening in my life. And I once I got to college and I started to... Realized the severity of some of the things that were happening around me um, or I guess not around me but happening at home um, Still very much part of my life and uh, some of the things I was feeling I started to get um, some pretty hefty symptoms while I was playing And OCD especially started to kind of creep into my everyday training and my play And so my performance went just kind of out the window and I just kind of became really really scared and I was very frustrated that I couldn't control the things that were going on in my head and how they were impacting how I was playing and I kind of just crumbled at that point because I had nothing else to really turn to basketball had been something I could turn to and I couldn't anymore and so that's when
0: I really came to terms with the fact that I needed needed help to handle it I love that. I love that realization because it's not easy and it requires a lot of strength to do so. And I was wondering if you could also describe a little bit more about your experience navigating the recruiting process and your big decision to commit to Stanford during that darker time, as you described, during your senior year.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, that was a very tough part of my life. I was very low myself and my... um, a lot of the symptoms that I'd experienced my whole life were kind of ramping up, I think partially due to some of the external things that were happening in my life. And, you know, it was a really, really tough decision because I was leaving behind a lot of pain and a lot of things that I didn't want to forget. Like my one of my closest friends uh, committed suicide and my grandma who... I'm extremely close to she's actually still alive she survived um her stroke but she's not the same um and I just I didn't want to leave leave that behind but at the same time I wanted to escape it and I wanted to go somewhere where I could maybe completely like start new and forget about um everything that was going on and including the things I was feeling and I figured that by going so far away, literally, Stanford's like on the other side of the continent from where I grew up, that like, by starting fresh physically, that I would also mentally and that was not how, uh, how that played out. Um, And so that that decision was, was challenging for yeah a few reasons.
0: Definitely. Um, One thing that I also really loved about your story is, you mentioned that it's okay to struggle, and it's okay to ask for help. Could you also elaborate a bit more on what asking for help means to you and what that also looks like for you?
1: Yeah. um, Even when I did ask for help, it wasn't only, it definitely wasn't only me who initiated that process. I give all the credit in the world to my teammates uh, for making sure I got to where I needed to be when I was that low and struggling that much. And so I've kind of learned that asking for help is not something to be ashamed of. It's not something that defines who you are. It makes you feel like it's gonna be this big identity defining thing and that oh, once I have this like mental illness um, splattered all over my health transcript, whatever, it's gonna be like this thing that defines who I am and it's gonna dictate how the rest of my life goes in. that that was my my mindset. It's not now and especially seeing like you know mental health is, is kind of one of those up-and-coming things that people are starting to talk about and understand, and being like, okay, this person has X mental illness, struggles with whatever, and that's that doesn't make them any less qualified for a job or make them any less qualified to play a sport. And so, I think it it means a lot, especially when when other people ask me for help. I kind of like feel that full circle. And being like, okay, they're they're opening up and and this is what I was so afraid of doing. But yeah, I think it's a very like under-talked about thing, what it actually means to ask for help and what it actually means to provide it to.
0: That's awesome. That's so beautifully said as well, and I couldn't agree more. I was also wondering what it was like for you to receive your formal diagnosis of OCD how did you feel what allowed you to eventually accept that label and did that label change anything for you afterwards
1: yeah that i mean it was really weird because i i knew it like uh it was something that i i knew and i'd known for a long time and it wasn't like a f- formalized thing i guess yeah until i was 19 and so having that be something in my health records is something I had to, had to accept. And it was really out there. And then especially like speaking at other events, then it's like really, really out there. And yeah, accepting it at first was, was very hard. And it's kind of hard to, I guess, explain what, what the emotions were at that time, because I was in the hospital and uh, really going through it. But afterwards I was like, okay, like this is me. This is a part of me. And I walked out of there like, yeah, we're going to do this. And I, it's like this, you know, the little angel demon thing on your shoulder, like <laughs> we're going <laughs> to, we're going to handle this. And, and it's, yeah, <laughs> and it's going to be okay. I mean, I had all the help in the world to see that though.
0: So definitely wasn't only,
1: only me figuring that out.
0: So cool. And okay. This might be my favorite question. You've talked so much about your teammates already. I was wondering if you could tell me more about them and what they mean to you. Oh, goodness. I I could go on for, like,
1: <laughs> so long. They mean so much to me. I don't have, like, the appropriate words to describe that and describe what it feels to have their support and have had their support for the past four years. And, you know, I think about, like being in the hospital and having these very strict visiting hours from like 6 to 8 and they'd be like waiting right there at like 5:58 <laughs> ready to like run into my room and like they came every day and they brought like all my favorite stuff and like braided my hair and they'd sit and wait with me right till the end and like I think about things like that and I think about them like hugging me in the middle of practice when They can tell I'm having a rough time. And, you know, some days are better than others with handling the things that come up in my head while I'm playing. And they were always so respectful and so encouraging during those times. And like they rolled out to every single thing I spoke at or and read, have read everything I've written. And yeah, I just, I mean, those are really concrete examples, but, um, I just don't have the words yet to describe how much they mean to me and how much they've helped me um, stay positive these past uh, four years.
0: I mean, your love for them is clearly evident and obviously their love for you is super evident as well. And so I'm so glad that you experienced that and you guys have that team culture because that's definitely something special. And for my last question... Do you have any advice or words of wisdom for someone who may be experiencing something similar to you right now? Yeah. um, I would say
1: the biggest thing is hope, which is extremely hard to hold on to, especially right now, given the circumstances we're in, just in the world in general. But hope and finding something that gives you hope to hold on to. Everyone I've talked to, I've told them, like, about this little thing that I have, like, that I do. And it's just, like, this little box that I have on my desk. And every time I think of something that I love or that makes me happy, and it can be people, places, things, I just write it down on a little sticky and I put it in the box. And that box is, like, very full, (laughs) which is incredible. And every time I'm struggling and I'm feeling hopeless lost anything i just dump it on the floor and i start reading them and that that is like the best like advice i can give is to just hold on to something that gives you hope for the future and keep fighting and never give up
0: thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of been there if you enjoyed listening make sure to connect with us on Instagram at BenThere.podcast and subscribe to Ben There on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you guys know when the next episode is released. Thanks so much again and hope to see you all on the next one.